My guest is Dr. Samuel L. Blumenfeld, author of NEA, Trojan Horse and American Education, The Whole Language OBE Fraud. Sam, thanks for joining me this afternoon. A pleasure to be with you, um, uh, Chuck. Sam, well, the, always, uh, uh, always... The one yeah. good thing about the war in uh, Syria and Iraq is that it's taken the attention away from what's happening in in Israel and the Palestinians. That seems like a, a forgotten, an entirely forgotten episode, the war with Hamas. And um, Well, it, not forgotten in Israel. They just had a, um, they just arrested a whole cell of... Um, Hamas terrorists who are planning a major Rosh Hashanah uh, attack in Jerusalem. Wonderful. And wonderful. Uh, and they just shot and they just yeah and they just shot down a um, a Syrian jet that strayed over into um, Israeli Israel. territory. It was the first time. Yep, it was the first time such a a jet had been shot down since 1983. So mm. uh, yeah, Israel's uh, it it lives in a dangerous neighborhood. It's a precarious place to be. You know, it's sad to me. I mean, at this season of ours in Rosh Hashanah, right. as we, uh, we 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 pray that um, you know for for things, and we we wonder and we ask God to um, to grant certain uh, things on the earth. My prayer is that you know that the goddamn Arabs stop killing Jews. That's my prayer. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully <laughs> that will come to pass. But um, mm-hmm. now, of course, we're we're uh, at war again, and we have a very reluctant uh, commander-in-chief who, uh, he, he sounds so phony, you know, mm-hmm. so insincere, because I know. he's did only, you see, doing, did you he's see only his comment doing that... this because he has no choice, you see. He's yeah, I mean, he makes reference to not liking... Right, he doesn't like the optics of something. In other words, he doesn't like the way it looks as opposed to what, what's actually going on. And also, I did hear Obama's comments yesterday with regard to the war, and the mission is very fuzzy. I mean, look, I'm glad that they took out that Khorasan uh, site, you know, where, where people were plotting, um, you know, to put bombs into uh, toothpaste tubes. Right. But, but he's, he basically says, look, we're at war with with ISIS, but yeah. we're also at war with Bashar Assad in Syria. We're helping the opposition army. I mean, that's a recipe for World War Three, if I've ever heard one. Uh, exactly, exactly. It doesn't make sense at all. But um, well, we have to put up with it. Uh, we have a uh, a commander in chief who really is has never served, has never been in the military, knows very little about it, has, has probably a deep-seated hatred of, uh, of the American military in general. And, um, but he's in charge. And, of course, we're all waiting for November, the November elections. That's, that's the turning point. Otherwise, we're just uh, treading water until, uh, until we see the results of of uh, those elections, and so everything is up in the air. It's it's a very peculiar state for this country to be in, and uh, so everybody is, you know, going about doing their business. And uh, how is your daughter doing in in her school? Back to school. 
She's doing very well, Sam. I mean, my daughter is, uh, you know, she's an AP history student who gets A's in history. She happens to have taken a great interest in American history. She's also very strong with with American literature. The uh, the teachers in both of those seem to be pretty straight arrow. Some of the teachers are very good. You've got others who are change agents. There's no question about that. Yeah. I mean, in English, they're reading The Great Gatsby, which, of course, is one of America's great classic novels. Right. She loves to read. She reads voraciously, thanks to Alpha Phonics. Good. Um, good. You know, she she reads whole novels. I mean, she's she's uh, she also reads uh, very you know good texts. She's got strong math skills, which is pretty unusual. The um, one of the teachers is a change agent. I mean, I, we went to um, parents' night um, last Thursday night, so I got to got to read on each of the teachers. And Where unfortunately, the chemistry teacher. No, it's in that. It's in Boston Latin School. Oh, Boston. Uh, Latin Hannah's in. Yeah, she's in. She's in one of the top exam schools in the country. I mean, she's. Uh, yeah. You know, she got in because she got very high scores on the test. And uh, the, uh, the the chemistry teacher is a change agent. And when I say that, I mean it in that um, rather than actually teaching the kids chemistry, you know, something with content, she's into this whole, we're going to teach how to teach, and we're going to learn by doing, and we're going to experientially. I mean, it sounds a lot like what John Dewey would have talked about. Uh-huh. And, she uh, probably Sean, is a Deweyite, you know. Yeah, I think so, and Hannah hates it, and it's uh, – Unfortunately, that's what people are up against. I mean, she's oh, she's wise to it. She recognizes that as disappointing as this is, that's the way the world works, you know. I mean, people, you know, we assume that people are in school to teach. You know, I just had Charlotte Isabel on the show. Oh, good. And we talked about her. Yeah, and it was excellent. And she ta- she's coming back when she comes. She's, she's going to be in Belgium for a few weeks. But when she's back, she will be um, continuing a series. <clears throat> and she talked about the, um, you know, she knows full hand because she was in the Reagan um, administration uh, Department right. of Education, yeah. where I think that she might, you know, I'm, not, I'm not passing any dispersions here, but I think she purloined several documents um, oh, and no, published she, them in she her took, book. Um, she made copies of right. the documents. Well, uh, and of, she, uh, that, that became the basis of her book, you know. That's the right. Deliberate dumbing down. And of she America. talks about the deliberate dumbing down of America, and she she talks about the Skinnerian methods of our educrats right, and uh, right. the you know we talked about um, the sort of the collusion between international big business who wants to create uh, you know useful idiots you know uh, human resources docile well, people that's to uh, to work for them. Yeah, that's, that's right. Common. And then them, and of course the and then the socialists. People like yeah. John Dewey, who have, who are ideologues, who are working toward creating a one-world ant colony. Right. You know, it's kind of a, a collusion between between two forces, both of which have an agenda that is unnatural, that is uh, unhuman, that is not completely contradicts what we think we're getting for our children and what we're paying for for our children's education, which is to help our children develop. A uh, an independent character, someone that can think on their own, right. someone who can think cognitively, someone who has Judeo-Christian moral basics, someone who understands and respects American sovereignty. They understand the Constitution. They're patriots. You know things that we sort of think and assume these schools are doing, but they're That's not. That's right. Um, um, a lot of parents assume that the schools are doing this, but of course they're not. 
I mean, particularly what really uh, gets my goat is the fact that that the Bible is banned in the public school. I mean, the idea that the Bible, you know, the Bible is the foundation of our government. You know, uh, when you when you look at American history, without the Bible, there would have never been a United States of America. And uh, and so the the uh, progressive educators have the goal to tell children that the Bible is totally irrelevant and uh, refuse to even permit. Uh, in some cases, students to have their own Bible clubs, you know, along with other. Well, clubs. actually, there, there was just there was just a victory, a Supreme Court victory on that one. Now, yes, they are allowed to have Bible clubs after school on the premises. It took a Supreme Court to step in and um, and correct that that banning of of, of uh, speech on school. But uh, so there's a small victory there, Sam. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I was I was in. Um, New Hampshire the other day at the celebration of the U.S. Constitution uh, at a, a, a meeting and a dinner, and one of the um, legi- one of the New Hampshire legislators uh, came up to me and, and we had a nice chat and I asked him what he thought about the schools in his district, and he said, "Oh, we have good schools," and I said. There is no such thing as a good public school. As long as the Bible is banned in a school, that school is under satanic influences. There's no question about it, because it denies what? the relevance of the Bible. Uh, you know, just just the history that's in the Bible. There's so much in the Bible. You can't do a crossword puzzle without having read the Bible. And and uh, I firmly believe that that the absence of the Bible tells children that they are the products of evolution, that they are no better than the, their pets, their cats or their dogs, that there is no purpose to life apart from uh, you know um, uh, eating and sleeping and and screwing around. And uh, that creates an enormous amount of depression among young people. You know, we have more teen depression today than ever. Where did this come from? There was no such thing as teen depression when I was growing up. There was no such teen, uh, thing as teen suicide when I was growing up. And incidentally, we've had, you've had three suicides in Brookline alone at uh, Brookline High. Uh, no, no, not Brookline, in Newton. I'm sure you're aware Recently? of that. I'm not. Tell me about it. Yeah, there were three what suicides at, in Newton uh, in the, the last, uh, during this, this year. And uh, people are, uh, are at, at odds. They don't know why these kids are committing suicide. But part of the problem is that they are under such, particularly in the... Um, high expectation schools they are under mm-hmm. such pressure to perform such pressure you know that they don't dare get anything but an a i mean they don't have the right to fail i've come to the conclusion that maybe uh teenagers should take a year off from school that is after they get out of junior high they ought to take a year off from 
formal schooling. I think so it's a great idea. So that they can find themselves, you see. Yep. You know, one of the things that I know that people that I've known have done is their kids spend a year in Israel. Um, and uh, it's a very, very good experience. After, after, I mean, they've been locked up in these schools for so long. It's, it's, it's just, I couldn't agree more, Sam. Yeah, but apparently the pressure is so great now because the kids who are committing suicide are the top ones, not the, not the dummies. Yeah. The dummies, of course, are, are ignored. They're not expected to um, amount to anything anyway, so the, 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 there's no pressure on them to perform. But there's enormous pressure on the top students to, uh, you know, to meet expectations of their parents, their friends, their um, uh, uh, their athletic coaches. Uh. Author, journalist, and American patriot. This is Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much, and uh, Sam Blumenfeld's my guest. Sam, I just want to mention briefly here as a, um, as a bit of a program note that I am now offering as a, sort of as a part of this program, as an adjunct to the program, a, a subscription series of daily emails, whereas my listeners, my followers, they get a daily email from me uh, through this Tidbits, which is this new organization that, uh, that I'm partnering with. And that in that in that email, it's an exclusive and uh, somewhat confidential look um, at uh, my show notes and what I was thinking, my observations with regard to this program, uh, just whatever you know, different thoughts I may have, observations, a couple of jokes maybe, and I also include in it a podcast of this program. So you get uh -huh. the program, and you get a description of what was discussed every day, seven days a week. And you apply for it through this Tidbits, which is T-I-D-B-I-T-T-S. It's this new service. And uh, it costs 99 cents a month, which is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Uh, you can cancel it at any time. The first month is free. And um, I have a lot of hopes for this. It just launched Monday, so it's all very, very new. And uh, I'm really enjoying writing these Tidbits and posting them. And, and they just go out automatically. It's great. So what is it called, Tidbits? Tidbits, and you just go there and you put my name in the server, Chuck Morse or Chuck Morse Speaks. Uh -huh. uh, go to politics, you'll see it. I've got the logo up there, and you just subscribe. It's only 99 cents, and you get a daily email from me through Tidbits, basically with uh, con it's exclusive notes. It's not available anywhere else. Um, it's uh, you know it's links to some interesting things. I had some interesting uh, additions to my interview with Charlotte Isabet. I'll probably have a lot to say, Sam, about our interview today. Um, there'll be links to, I'll put some links up there for your books, maybe for uh, Alpha Phonics. You get the Terrific. podcast. You get relevant information. Yeah. So I think Very it's a pretty good, good service. Excellent. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to to promoting it, and I'm I'm hoping that everyone signs up, you know? Okay. Well, I want to draw your attention to an, a great article which appeared in the uh, – New Republic in, in August, the August 4th issue. And the title is Don't Send Your Kid to the Ivy League. <clears throat> hmm. A Better Education and a Better Life Lies Elsewhere. It's by William Derizovich of Yale University. 
And he writes, uh, quote, in this article, uh, these enviable youngsters appear to be the winners in the race we have made of childhood. But the reality is very different, as I have witnessed in many of my own students and heard from hundreds of young people when I have spoken on campuses who have written to me over the last few years, our system of elite education manufactures young people who are smart and talented and driven, yes, but also anxious, timid, and lost with little intellectual curiosity and a stunted sense of purpose, trapped trapped in a bubble of privilege, heading meekly in the same direction, great at what they're doing, but with no idea why they are doing it. So that's quite a uh, Isn't that amazing? an indictment. Quite an indictment of yeah, the Ivy League oh. and of the and mm-hmm. of the children who are pressured into becoming, you know, top performers. And uh, you know, and and the whole purpose of it is so so that they can get into the Ivy Leagues. You mean that both literally and also in their malpractice with regard right, to their right, uh, teaching right. methodologies. Talk talk a bit about your book, Sam. Well, the book, uh, the interesting thing about the book is that, you know, I've been investigating uh, progressive education for many years, particularly uh, on the on the whole business of the reading problem. And it's been a slow revelation. And certainly I, I in my first book, The New Illiterates, I came to the conclusion that anyone taught to read by the look-say method would... Uh, exhibit the symptoms of dyslexia. So the whole point was, why would teachers, why would educators deliberately create a teaching method that would harm the children? And so I came across uh, John Dewey's seminal, seminal essay that he wrote in 1898, in which he outlined this plan to change America into a socialist society, a collectivist society, to get rid of individualism and capitalism. Mm-hmm. And he said the way to do it, of course, is to take over the schools and to, and to lower the literacy level of the American people uh, because uh, intensive phonics created independent thinkers, it created people with independent intelligence who could think for themselves, who could read anything, and were much more difficult to influence than a dumbed-down population. And so he and his colleagues actually implemented a vast, vast conspiracy to dumb down the American people by using the education system. And it occurred to me that it is a crime to dumb down a nation. I mean, what ga- what gave them the right, the goal to take an entire nation and to si- and decide to lower its literacy level? What gave them that right to do that, and also to plot the destruction of our constitutional republic? And its replacement with what? What did they want to replace it with? 
Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. And Sam Blumenfeld's here. Sam, you're, you, you know, you're eloquent as ever. I mean, you're putting the situation exactly where it is. Um, this bizarre, criminal, evil uh, conspiracy um, to uh, dumb down America is something that um, yeah, it's, it's almost impossible to understand how it is that um, people who are seemingly intelligent would actually embrace something as diabolical as this. Um, you know, we, we would assume that in a free country of ours, we would want to do everything we can, uh, our government, our institutions, to try to promote excellence, to try to help people become all that they might want to be in life and uh, to, to accomplish that. And yet this is a deliberate attempt to sort of uh, stymie, to retard, to slow down our, our abilities as sovereign citizens to do just that. I mean, what are these people thinking anyways? Well, that's what I deal with is they're, they're thinking. The main point is that without God, um, it's, it's impossible to have excellence without God. You know, for, let me just give read a, a, another paragraph from that article by this professor at Yale. He says, so extreme are the admission standards now that kids who manage to get into elite colleges have, by definition, never experienced anything but success. The prospect of taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much, Sam Blumenfeld's my guest. Sam, when you remove the creator of the universe from the schools and from a from a young person, that creator is at least their agenda holds. The creator is replaced by the power of the state. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's written. They've been written. It's been written about openly. Um, you know, the creating, replacing the moral authority of um, of a higher power with that that of the state. It's that exactly. simple. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what the um, progressives want. You know, they want a secular humanist state. Uh, which denies the existence of God. And, of course, they have, you know, there's, there's, uh, uh, they, they have their own values. Uh, and and they, for example, they teach kids that you're only, you're only, uh, of, you're only of value if you are, of, of, if you can contribute to the, to the community, you know, and people have to be judged on their ability to, you know, that's, for example, what the Germans did when they killed off people they considered to be useless, you see. But in a world with God, no one is useless. I mean, even, you know, uh, and it it all depends on the Every life is value. Yes. Every single life. life. I mean, exactly. this is what the, the Talmud teaches, that every every life is like a universe, and to lose a life is like losing a universe. 
exactly. So the secular humanists, they, they have the lifeboat uh, survival game, the fallout shelter survival game, you see. And uh, what does this teach the kids? They teach that, well, you have to judge people by, uh, you throw out from the lifeboat people who you believe are, not, are, are useless people, in other words who can't contribute to the sure. state. And uh, that's, that's the point of view that they use. And, of course, that's very depressing. There was one, uh, it is. Uh, one a youngster, a Christian youngster, who said, uh, well, we ought to find a way to save everybody. You know, and, of course, the, mm-hmm. for the teacher, that was a no-no. What do you mean, save everybody? We've got to get rid of some people, you know. And and but but children who don't have a a strong uh, sense of transcendental being, unfortunately, are uh, are deprived of that important uh, yeah. idea that everyone is useful, that every life well has has meaning, even if if to us. They're considered useless, you see. Yeah, I mean, because we're created in the image of God. To inculcate to children, because then that that provides the the recipe for genocide. Uh, You know, and and Hitler killed thousands of people whom he considered to be useless. And uh, of course, it's all coming to light. And the psychiatrists were all uh, involved in this. They met, they had to judge a person on the basis of their usefulness. I mean, th- that's the kind of philosophy that permeates. You know, it's very, it's very much it, it's very much a re- it's a revival of the um, the Greek um, uh, you know paganistic ideas that were espoused by Plato in the Republic, where he talked about um, when a child is born. You'd have a judge take a look at the child and decide whether or not he should live and die. And if he was deemed as not useful to the state, they'd leave him on the hillside to die. Uh, exactly. I mean, the whole one of the most immediate reforms of the to- of the Torah, which was given by God, was to say that all men and women, and it does say men and women, were created and are created in the image of God, and as such, every single human life. Has value in and of itself for its own reasons. It's a self-contained universe, so to speak. It is an image of the Creator, and everyone has a right to that, to to to, to that life. I mean, every you know the, that the, the the goal of a moral society is to try to preserve, protect, and defend the life of the citizens who live in that society. That is the yardstick upon which we judge a moral society. But, you know, Obamacare, uh, you will be eligible, uh, say if you're an elderly person, you will be eligible for uh, for treatment if you are useful to society. You know, they're going to be judging people, rationing uh, health care on the basis of oh, whether you deserve to have it, you know, whether you're useful to society. Exactly. How to teach your child reading, writing, and arithmetic in the traditional manner. Uh, my book, uh, The Victims of 
Dick and Jane is also available there, and also Revolution via Education. So those four books are available at uh, at Calcedon's store, plus uh, uh, 11 little readers that go with the Alpha Phonics book so that your child can begin reading little books as early as, uh, you know, as, as five years old. Um, and all of these books are available at, at very moderate cost. And, and of course... Uh, I couldn't recommend them more highly. Great. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Chuck. So, and uh, so that's what I uh, suggest. And, of course, you can go back into the archives of the... Um, uh, the American Opinion magazine for the articles, of, uh, the, the 300 or so articles that I wrote for their uh, uh, website. Well, it's a pleasure to have been with you, uh, Chuck, and hopefully uh, in this new year things will improve. Thank you, Sam. Uh, absolutely. Uh, onward and upward. I really appreciate it as always. And, uh, you know, Godspeed, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you next week. Great, great. Take care. All right, Sam, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Okay, and we shall be back, hour number two, with uh, Michael Maloney. He's the author of Penn State Blue. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the Information Radio Network. For a home comes with a lot of to-dos. Fix the AC, build a deck, remodel the kitchen, Whatever your home improvement need, HomeAdvisor can help you find a pro you can trust to get the job done right. Go to rebuild.homeadvisor.com for instant access to top-rated pros in your area, including electricians. Thank you very much. Hour number two of Chuck Moore Speaks, Monday through Friday, 10 till noon, Eastern Standard Time here at the Information Radio Network. You're welcome to join the program, 844-439-1391. 844-439-1391. We're turning our attention to a, a sports novel, Penn State Blue, by Michael J. Maloney. Michael, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Oh, definitely. Hey, Chuck, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Listen, you wrote this book about Penn State football, the great tradition of Penn State, both as an academic institution and as the um, – the host of a great football tradition, and uh, before the uh, you concluded the, the book, and you're a sports writer, um, the, you had break out the uh, great scandal over there. Uh, yeah, talk uh, a little bit about about that. Yeah, please. Sure. I I, I really uh, like everybody else. I was shocked. You know, I, I mean, uh, if it happened at any school, I would have been shocked. For Penn State, with its great tradition of academic excellence for football players. And, you know, great tradition of on-the-field excellence. And on top of it, you know, Joe Paterno, who also was of Italian heritage, which was important to me. And, um, you know, I mean, he, Joe was just Joe Pa, Coach Pa, for years. I mean, he the, the stories that, that he helped kids who helped themselves legally were legendary. You know, guys that... I mean, all his former players that would come back, like France, uh, Franco Harris and, you know, maybe Jack Cam, Matt Millen, all those guys that talked and uh, were, you know, reverent over about the guy. And this to, have, to happen at the near end of his career, and, and it turned out to be the end of his career, it was really tragic and shocking. And, 
you know, the one the one silver lining out of a very, very dark cloud is the respect that Joe Paterno seemed to have in the college football community. Usually when a big time program hits the skids because of a scandal, there is that interesting but not interesting possibility where you can take a jab at them and very few jabs yeah. are taken at Penn State. And as I looked over the community of students and faculty on the media, I, I concluded that Penn State, for the most part, was still full of good. So I reworked the novel. I, uh, I continued with it. And, you know, at first I wanted it to be a, a deification of the glory of uh, Penn State football. And then I thought about it, and I said, you know, there's a lot of uh, glory and healing. So that's why I continued the book. Well, I mean, uh, what, what, what did you make of the um, the actual situation there, I mean, with uh, Mr. Uh, Paterno? Uh, I mean, I, I honestly think in 20 years somebody like uh, Steven Spielberg will come along, make a biopic about it, when all the documents are released to the public and people have the chance to pour over it, I still think Coach will remain innocent. And I think a lot right. of his players think that way. Um, like, I think... Uh, well, I mean, it certainly seemed to be... It seemed to be a, a completely isolated situation um, regarding him. I mean, other than... I mean, uh, and plus, he, you know, he had somewhat of a paternal relationship there. Um, yeah, I, just, I mean, you know, he yeah, was I mean, coach, the, the, the way I figured it, because in in my first novel, I wrote him a letter, and I explained it was about hockey, but, you know, cut me some slack, and uh, he, he wrote, he, he signed my letter and sent it back, and uh, I thought that was a really neat thing. I still have it. Um, yeah. He, he was, uh, I was thinking about this novel two novels ago, and yeah. I, I it was an isolated incident. There's no doubt about it because I think it was so horrific. It wasn't like giving players cars or money or doing anything with their grades. It was it was totally on a new level. And my you know my book is written as a feel good story. I wanted to get those kids to feel good about Penn State again because I did. If I thought Penn State mm-hmm. had egregiously made those kids say things that they liked the school or the school was, you know, and the school was not at fault. And I could see their point because 98% of those kids, you know, didn't understand until everything hit the media. And um, I, I wanted them to understand that, you know, people in other parts of the country, I went to BU, graduated from BU, People in other country parts yep. of the country understood that they had a good school there. Of course, and uh, I think that the school has recovered from the scandal. Um, you, know, you know, honestly, you know, the football, a... the football program is getting his bowl games back, and they're getting scholarships back. So they must be doing they must be doing it the Penn State way, or the N State NCAA yeah. wouldn't be, you know, paying attention to them. Right, and I think one of the reasons why the scandal was so magnified is because it was Penn State that was such a revered institution. It was, if it had been another school, it may not have 
you know, been seen as 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 big a deal, I guess. Uh, you know, yes, but I, I think what happened to the kids, and I, and I don't really want to go over it because I don't I don't want to cause any more pain, you know. But mm-hmm. um, you know, the the reality is, it was it was a horrific situation. I mean, and it was and it yeah. was Penn State. You you put it was yeah. it was like polar opposites meeting in an unfortunate median. Yeah, a complete violation of trust for sure. Sure, and no that, doubt. That's what was so, that was so shocking about it, Mike. I want you to talk a little bit about your own story. Um, your biography says that um, you know you became a sports writer. Um, you you wrote a novel in a sense and a kind of a contradiction to that, but. Um, you also uh, dealt with some mental illness, and I think it's an issue that, um, you know, once in a while I do a program where I feel like I'm bringing up issues to the fore where a listener could connect with it and say to themselves, gee, I, that could be me, or I know someone like that, you know, my family members like that, maybe, uh, you know, and they're going to get some insights in terms of how to uh, to help themselves. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about that situation, if you don't mind. Geez, you just hit on why I did it, why I write. Uh, you know, I mean, not just for mentally ill people, because writing is mm-hmm. an, a, a great, incredible thing all in all in itself. You know, it, it's a wonderful way to express yourself. But the aspect of mental illness being thrown in, you're right. You want to inspire people with mental illness to do follow their dreams. They don't have to be a writer. You know, they can do whatever they want to do. And and nowadays with um, um, new uh, medicines and new therapeutic treatments, you can go further than you think. And that that's, sure. that's the whole point. You know, find a therapist that believes that. That saying, mm-hmm. I, I want to go a little bit further today. I did this last week, but I want to do a little bit more. And that's how I approached writing when I first started. And, you know, three novels later, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. The writing you know, helps. Yeah, writing helps. Writing yeah. helps. It builds your confidence. It, 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 makes you, it makes you feel like, geez, you, you have worth in this world. You know, you're, you're something. You have a job. You have a career. You know, because I grew up in a family where men worked. Even my mom worked. And I, mm-hmm. I do a different kind of work than my, the rest of the family. I write books. And it's, it's a different, you know, we, we had to, like, adjust to that. You know, um, you know we, we, uh, I, I'm a first-generation college student. My brother's a first-generation college student. You know, he took the more traditional route. He was a marketing major. I was a journalism major. You know, and uh, the the whole idea of getting people excited with writing is why I do it, yeah. mentally ill or not. Well, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm also a writer. I've written 11 books, uh, three of which were published. The rest were uh, self-published. And uh, what I got out of writing is that, first of all, it helps me coordinate and organize my thinking. Secondly, it, it gives me a focus on a particular topic that I really want to learn about anyway, and I really it gives me the chance to really dig deep and go delve into this topic and all of its as, attributes and, and put it all down on paper. 
And then the third thing I like about writing is that I like to edit the writing in that I then can go through it and, and improve it and work on the craft of it, work on the art and the science of it to make it say exactly what I want to say. And to my way of thinking, when I get into doing a book, I mean, I, it's almost like every it's difficult for me to focus on much else. It's a, I really zero in on it. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a great experience. I mean, I suppose it's like, it's it's probably like that for anyone who's in, in into an art, if you will. Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, when when I write, I get I I tell people I get into a zone, you know, like a basketball right. player or something. And you know, I, I don't get miserable or anything. It's just like if you want to talk to me and I'm in that zone and I'm writing, come back and see me in three hours. You know, because <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. It's just you know, it's just it's not you know. I, I, I'm so happy with this book in particular from the technical standpoint in that my character development was a lot better than the first two. Um, I, I really, I, I, as, a, as an artistic point, uh, as an aesthetic point, I, I, I think the cover was great. I think the, the character development inside the cover was great. Um, I think, you know, I'm very proud of this book. Uh, I, I hope, you know, I mean, intrinsically, no. I guess the possibility of being a writer is not easy, as you know. You know, it's not, I mean, sure. there there's writer's block, there's distractions, why don't you come to the ball game, why don't you do this, why don't you do that, and you got to discipline yourself to do this. And I, mm -hmm. I really... Yep. Uh, I really, I really feel for another writer. I'm glad you're another writer. We can commiserate. You know, it's great. Yeah, you bet. You know, it's just... Now, Mike, I want to ask you about, uh, look, I mean, as writers, we also have to wear many hats in that we've got to market our work. We've got to bring it out to the public, make it available. We've got to discuss it. You have a great story to tell, not just because of your book, but because of your own personal story. And I think you, you do a good job of kind of merging those two things. Um, you're on this program. Are you doing other radio programs? What are you doing in terms of um, bringing the book out to as many people as possible? Um, I've got one in, in locally in Western Mass where I'm from. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a PBS station where I'm trying to get in. So I'll actually be on television if this works. Um you know, um, that, that would be an interesting thing. I've never done that before. Um, I, I speak at local clubs, like I'm speaking at... Chuck Morse Speaks. Thank you very much, and my guest is author Michael J. Maloney. He's the author of Penn State Blue. Penn State Blue is a rousing football novel that takes place at Penn State University, known for its strong academics, its football team, and longtime coach. Uh... You, uh, Michael, as we were talking about, uh, you wrote the novel. We're finishing the novel before the scandal broke. You then revised the novel to bring things up to date, which is something that we all have to do, especially in my case, I write nonfiction. So while I'm writing, I have to stay on top of everything that's going on regarding the topic, and sometimes it can mean a whole rewrite. Um, but uh, talk a little bit about that and talk about how you develop the characters. Okay, Right. Um, the funny thing is, I was I was writing the story 
you know, the scandal hit. I, I freaked. I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I took about 10 to 12 days off. I reworked the story, and I, I, I put a character with actually with mental illness in the story. He's got a small bit part, but it's very strong. And his name is Al. And if you can follow the bouncing ball for a minute, the protagonist is Bob Rex. He's the freshman quarterback at Penn State. And his girlfriend is is uh, Franny. And she goes to Cornell. And they eventually part ways because, you know, boys and girls find other boys and girls. Um, and Al becomes interested in Franny, and Franny likewise. But Al has mental illness, and he is painfully aware of this. And he's incredibly frightened about having an episode in front of her. And mm-hmm. it takes them a while. Everybody makes phone calls, and, you know, it takes them a while to get these two together. But eventually they get together, and they are friends at the beginning. And it just kind of uh, uh, goes forward from there. And uh, it, it, it's not, you know, you know, I went through this in college because I didn't get diagnosed until after college, but I knew something was mm-hmm. wrong with me. And I was very right. uh, reticent to have, have a relationship. So that part yeah. of it was autobiographical. But, you know, the part about him throwing 40 yards in the air, that's more fantasy. And, um, mm-hmm. sure. and uh, you know, the, the, the character development on a football team, there's so many characters. There's 50 guys on the team. Right, sure. Right? Everyone and, is. And, and you have reoccurring characters. And, you know, like I went to college my freshman year at Keene State College in Keene, New Hampshire. And I thought it would be fun sure. to make a character from there. And I remember Athens Pizza. And I hope they take this as a good plug and not that I'm using them. But everybody went to Athens. And um, I made one of the characters, one of the wide receivers, a guy that delivered pizza in high school from the Greek pizza place in in Keene, New Hampshire. And he was Mm -hmm. a Greek guy, and he made it it to Penn State, and he was pretty, pretty darn active in the offense, too. So there's other guys. There's a Jewish guy. Um, from New York City to um, Manhattan, whose family runs a very exclusive clothery. And he, yep. you know, has the guts to tell his parents, you know, this, I don't really want to do this. I want to, I'll, I'll go to college, I'll pay the price as a football player, I just want my own life. And at first they don't really understand because, you know, for generations they, it takes to build this business. And Junior comes along and says, I want to do something else. And, um, yeah. you know, that, that takes a lot of stuff. And there's there's guys from Detroit on the team. There's there's guys mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, also in Western Mass on the team. Um, I, I kind of, you know, use dramatic license in this book and put three guys from uh, Western Mass mm-hmm. on the team. So then you kind of, I mean, like any author, let's face it, you go, you're drawing from people you know. I mean, every yeah, every author well, does that to an extent. Yeah, to an extent, yeah, sure, because, like, you know, I went to do something high, and 
Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of a tough experience for me. I, I like knew of people but didn't know them because I was sick. And right. but you know I understood the rivalry between our crosstown guys, the Long Meadow Lancers and the East Long Meadow Spartans, and I understood the rivalry. And there's a guy from uh, Long Meadow on the team, and they joke about the rivalry. There's one one scene where they say. Can you believe I'm throwing to a guy from Longmeadow? And, you know, they both laugh it off. And, you know, and there's a guy from West Springfield, which is a town, a couple towns over across the river, the Connecticut River. Mm-hmm. And um, yep. he's he's a very high achiever, and he's, he's, got, he's got all kinds of stuff. Okay, we'll be right back. Thank you very much. Mike Maloney's my guest. The book is Penn State Blue. Mike, you know, I can tell from uh, talking to you, and I haven't had the chance to read the book yet, but um, that you, you know, you do a, you, you've got a great uh, ability to develop a character, and also a situation that you could place the character in, which further brings out who they are. And uh, you know, you've got some colorful figures there. I hope that um, you know you might write a sequel, and uh, that this book will get uh, the kind of attention that that might bring it up to. Um, to maybe, uh, you know, TV, movies, whatnot. Um, Thank you, sir. So I'm interested in, yeah, I mean, the book, but I'm also interested in the marketing of the book because uh, I think that in this day and age we have to be both uh, people who are in the creative arts, people who write, people who do anything in, in that area. They also have to be a business person or else they're not going to uh, to get get things up there because you have to find ways to bring your work to the attention of people. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm hopefully going to get on 60 Minute Sports. Um, I'm Great. trying like crazy to impress Sharon Alfonsi, and I hope she doesn't mind me using her name. But um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm hoping to get there. Um, I, I I like doing all kinds of settings. I like uh, talking at libraries, talking at boys clubs, talking at YMCA's. I'm trying to get into a couple of like the Unico Club and a couple of the service clubs in town. So you you have a varied audience, which is what I write for. You know, when you when you write an ensemble cast, there's a whole uh, plethora of people that you can write in and say, you know, yeah. my my dad was a steel worker, my dad was an attorney, my dad was an accountant, and that's three guys in your receiving core. And they all have sure. different life experiences, and that's all a piece of where you can go with the story. Right, and, and uh, you know so, you develop scenarios. I mean, so as far as the marketing is concerned, the more people you reach as a reader, it's the more people you can speak about at different venues, and you know make sense to them. You know you can you can speak at you know uh, a Unico club where you can speak at be on your local t- PBS station and you can un- you, they'll, they'll have a, you have to have a broader understanding than your readers sometimes because you have to explain to them sometimes why other people are important you know some sometimes people want to read about them or people like them and we were taught at BU that I was a photojournalism concentration and uh when you pointed the camera at one thing, you ignore something else. 
and writing is a little bit more broad-based because it takes more time, you know, and you, you think a little bit more about what kind of people you're going to put in there and why and can they be positive role models for young people and if they aren't, why aren't they and like what the kids should see in them. And and you can you can speak all kinds of languages in the English language, being as a marketing guy. Yep, yep. And and uh, by the way, your book page you also have defensemen, a hockey player story. So you've been developing um, stories of athletes and their interactions, both in the sport and also um, in their personal life and what they bring to the sport from from their own experiences. Perhaps how that how that influences their, um, you know, their, their performance, their athletic ability. Right. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's it's amazing. I also wrote a baseball book. I think you're writing, you're looking on Amazon. It's under Mike mm-hmm. Maloney. For some reason, under contractual okay. obligations, I put Mike Maloney, so they got to show it under Mike. So the other two are under Michael, and the other one's under Mike. I don't know, you know. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, I, 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 I moved a lot before. Oops. All right, we'll be right back, Mike. Sorry about that. We'll be right back with you. No problem. Shortstop. Thank you very much. Mike Baloney's my guest. We're talking about his books. He also has Shortstop, with Grace and Power Collide, under Mike Maloney's book page, as opposed to Michael Maloney with the other books are listed. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, you uh, in your as I mentioned in your in your biography, you mentioned that you've dealt with mental illness, and in that sense, I think you could be a yourself a very good role model. That would par- be part of the story, in terms I would argue of your bringing your books to prominence. Uh, that's an interesting way to look at it. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about um, how that's affected your life, what that has been like. Uh, how you um, are treating the situation and what what's going on with that? Well, you know, I've had like really good times in my life and really bad times in my life because of it. You know, I haven't been in the hospital since 2003. And I've been treated and my body's gotten used to it. New medications have been developed. I've, I've been able to, you know, enjoy life quite a bit more. And I, I can understand the frustration and the fear and a lot of the things that people go through when they hear the diagnosis, you have mental illness. Because in our society, right. like, mental illness mean, could mean, you know, very tragic results. And you've right. got to get away from that. You've got to think positively. You have this disease, you're going to make it forward. And that's, that's what I tell people. When I speak, or you know, when people say, "Hey, Mike, you know, you can do all this stuff, and you got mental illness. How, how do you do that? I mean, you know, you write books." And I say, you know, with today's modern medicine, there's the sky's the limit for the, a lot of people with mental illness. You know, yeah. some people, it's it's a very tragic case. The medicine doesn't work as well. Um, you know, but, uh, if you get the right therapy, if you get people that maybe are, aren't afraid to push the envelope a little bit, 
you know, mm-hmm. that's that's very important too. But as far as being a role model, I'm just. Thank you very much, and uh, Mike Maloney is my guest. Mike, um, talk a little bit about how the uh, mental illness manifests itself in your case. I mean, how did it debilitate you if it did at all? Uh, it, it gave me a good whack. Um, it, mostly it hit me with depression. Like, I would stay in bed seven or eight days in a row. Then I get out of bed, you know, ready to go, spend all kinds of money, drive like a maniac. Um, not, not, not a very healthy lifestyle. And um, right, you know, just, just not, you know. I, I see. I was, I was afraid more of the doctors than of the diagnosis, because I had voices in my head that were telling me they're using you as a medical experiment. They're pumping all these drugs mm-hmm. into you to mess with your head. And, um, and it, you know, obviously it's not true. That's something out of a very bad B science fiction movie. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, these, these people were trying to help me and I can you know, I went through a variety of therapists, nurses, doctors, and I finally, you know, my latest therapist and my latest psychiatrist, we just clicked, you know, we have a, Mm-hmm. That's that's so important in a relationship with 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 yeah. uh, your doctors and so forth. And I'm doing really well. You know, I'm I'm stretching out the appointments with my therapist from once a week to once every two weeks, and um, I'm very happy with that. I I you know when it manifests itself really badly, I go to sleep for two or three hours. You know I you know it's right. it's kind of like 98 percent of the time because of the new medication. It, I'm working on all cylinders, and the other two percent of the time I have to go to bed. It's it's that simple, and um, right. you know I I I really enjoy life a lot more now. You know, like I said, you know, writing gives you pride in yourself. You see, you wanted to be a writer. You've been published three times. You know, there's there's a, a part of you that says, okay, you know, the pressure's off. You know, you're a writer. You know, and uh, you don't. I don't really think of myself as a writer with mental illness, but I think I have to add that in because, you know, I I do have mental illness, and I want other people with mental illness to say, hey, you know, like you said before, if Mike can do it, maybe I can do it, and maybe I can yeah, do what no, I want. Yeah, absolutely, it's very inspiring. You know, sure. No, it's uh, an inspiring I, thing to bring. Plus, I would imagine that the writing might help you actually regulate your, you know, your highs and lows, you know, because yeah, it's a, um, you know, you know, because of the nature of it. Yeah, you know, writing uh, kind of puts you in your own zone, like I said before. You know, you can you can uh, enjoy life. You know, you can you, you can just say, or you can say, hey, you know what? This scene's going to be really tough. If this happened to me, how would I handle it? And and you you write it down because you know life isn't always a positive you know situation you know you go through ups and downs right. and hopefully you come out up and uh, mm-hmm. you know but part part of helping my treatment is is being a role model being a guy that doesn't swear in a restaurant being a guy that doesn't you know get in trouble 
you know, um, I, I, I've had, uh, I've had a situation where I have to deal with, and I can't really speak about it legally, and, and mm-hmm. it'll be over in January. Um, I, I, I wish I had never done it, you know, um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't like yeah. dealing or, or selling drugs or stealing cars or anything. It was just, mm-hmm. I overextended a friendship and it was wrong. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I'm more concerned about the other person than I am me because, you know, I, 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 I'll, you know, I did the, you know, I made the situation wrong, so I'll make it right. But, um, you know, it's, you got to grow up. And uh, it, when you when you make wrong, even though you're a big writer and, you know, you think yourself that, you know, you can you can do certain things, uh, you know, you still have to be a man about it. And that's part of being a role model, too. Sure. No, I mean, it, uh, you, you learn to deal with specific situations. But, um, you know, I, I just think that uh, writing or, or whatever it is that uh, someone finds as uh, something they can focus their mind on and their energy on that they really love or that they're interested in and they're, they're, they're delving into areas that, that hold their attention, that to me is an excellent form of therapy, I mean, for anyone, I mean, let alone mental illness, certainly for depression. I mean, I, I certainly have some depression. I mean, to my way of thinking, um, you know, I, I find that if I, I can't, you know, look at uh, at my, my books or, or um, you know, do my show, I mean, it's all the more reason to get up and do it. All right, we'll be right back. Mike Maloney's my guest. We'll be right back. The end of the program here. So I'd like you to take the opportunity to um, let people know how they can reach you, how they can find out more about your books, where they can get your books, or read articles, or anything else you'd like people to know. Is there a website? Please uh, let us know. Actually, sure. Um, my website is www.americanviewphoto.com. One word. And, mm-hmm. you know, my books are on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Goodreads, eBay. You know, take your pick. You know, um, yep. I, I have an email address for the quick and easy people. It's Mike.Maloney, M-A-L-O-N-I, at gmail.com. So if you have any questions or, you know, you you want to you wanna take a shot at writing someday and you want to know what it's all about at the beginning, you know, please do. You know, people have helped me, so I don't have any reason, you know, not to help you. No, I mean, you know, exactly. I mean, as a sidebar, you could coach someone and give someone advice. Um, and, uh, and even by doing that, you'll learn a lot. Anyway, Mike, listen, I want to thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Hey, definitely. Uh, I'll be on any time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience. All right, Mike. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Okay, that's Mike Maloney, and um, he is the author of many, many books. Check it out on Amazon. I'd like to mention my books are available at Amazon and Amazon Kindle. Chuck Morse, M-O-R-S-E. Just put my name in the server, and they come up. 